Well, we are going to continue our journey through the whole shebang. We took a little bit of break over the past couple weeks. And uh, for those of you who perhaps are new, the whole shebang is our journey all of 2010 through the grand epic story of God. And right now we're entering into session four. Section four, if you have your uh, binders, the fourth tab on there is entitled The Revolution. So now we're into part one of The Revolution. And where we left off as we finished up the Messiah was that we had a group of 12 disciples, these young men, teenagers, these young teenagers who were following this rabbi named Jesus. Jesus died on the cross, resurrected, and ascended into heaven. So these young men are leaderless, and the revolution is their story. And the revolution is what we will be focusing on the book of Acts. Basically, in the New Testament, there's the four Gospels, then there's the book of, of Acts right after that. And the book of Acts covers the, revol, the, the, the revolution story. There's a number of letters that happened after that, Romans, Philippians, Colossians, you may have heard of some of those. Those are all part of the Acts story. They fit in. Philippians fits in right here, and Romans was written right here as a part of this story that we find in the book of Acts. Acts covers a whole lot of territory. It covers about 30 years. It has about 100 people involved with it. It covers 30 countries, 50 different cities, towns, and islands. There are courtroom scenes. There's murder. There's action, adventure, mystery. It's like a James Bond movie where they try to get so much in this one deal. The only different thing about the book of Acts, it's all true. It is the story of the revolution. Acts is the story of the revolution. That's what we're going to take a look at over the next six weeks. So let's jump in in chapter 1. If you brought your Bibles, chapter 1 of the book of Acts. And these are the uh, final words of Jesus before he ascended uh, uh, into heaven. And he says in chapter 1, verse 8, He says in chapter 1, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that is exactly what happens. That in chapter 2, they do receive the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. And then they become the witnesses, and this is the structure of the book of Acts. They become the witnesses in Jerusalem, that's the first seven chapters. And in Judea and Samaria, that's the next six chapters. And to the ends of the earth, that's the rest of the book of Acts. So that's how we're going to walk this through. This morning, we're going to look at the first seven chapters as they were witnesses in Jerusalem. Just this, this format that Jesus walks us through here. So let us jump into the second chapter of Acts. It is where the Holy Spirit comes, as Jesus, as Jesus said, beginning in verse 1 here. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit 
enabled them. This is it, folks. This is the fullness of God revealed. God is referred to as the Trinity, as three persons in one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father is revealed in creation. God the Son is revealed in the Messiah, in the person of Jesus Christ. And now God the Spirit is revealed in the person of the Holy Spirit here, right here in chapter 2. This is the fulfillment of who God is. And what I love is, is Peter stepping up to the plate at this point. Peter's the one who denied Christ three times and then the rooster crowed. And Peter's at this place of, of guilt and shame for not standing up for his rabbi, for his teacher. And then he, in this moment, in response to the power of the Holy Spirit, he steps up, jump to verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Again, right in the first few chapters we're talking about Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Boom, boom. He tells a joke. I love this. It's, oh, but seriously, folks, seriously. So he talks about the fact that, that they seem drunk, that others view them as something is happening. And there's a reason that alcohol is referred to as spirits, the spirited drink, because there is some commonality between the presence of the Holy Spirit and what alcohol does to us. The Holy Spirit, like alcohol, it affects every part of us. It changes who we are. It affects what we do and what we say. And alcohol typically affects us in ways that make us worse. Alcohol typically affects us in ways that make us do and say things that we wish we hadn't. I know very few of you here in this room understand anything about that, but you have friends, I'm sure. And so that's, that's the, the leaning that alcohol takes, the leaning that the Holy Spirit takes every time is that it moves us to do and say things that are honoring to God and that are good for our souls. They both have dramatic impact on who we are. One sends us in one direction, the Holy Spirit sends us in another direction. And here's what happens. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in these days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And Peter goes on and on. He continues on. This is fabulous. Into verse 36, he he finishes, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? This phrase, cut to the heart, literally means to, be, to have our conscience stirred, to be cut, pierced, poked, prodded, pricked in the heart. I use the word pricked because I had a, a professor in seminary named Dr. Froze, and he was very German, a little bit old, very German, and he's the one that made me really appreciate church history, and he would have this lecture, and typically at the end of his lectures, he would say, and now it's time for me to prick you, and, and that would be his thing, 
And at first we're going, ew. And we realize later on what this means is he would say, okay, here's we've learned all this stuff. Now let's take it to application. Now let's go and I want to stir your heart, challenge your, your brain and your head to something that is applicable to how we do life. I want to prick you. I want to cut you to the heart. See, our response to understanding the message of the Messiah, of the weight of our sin and the cost of Christ on the cross so that we can have a restored relationship with God, our response to that is not to say, golly gee, thanks. Our response is to be cut to the heart and respond the way these guys did. Verse 37, what shall we do? Now that I get it, what shall we do? And for those of you who've been around here uh, much, this is how we embrace our whole discipleship concept. And we just translate this into the word, so now what? It's the same concept that when we, when we, when we are cut to the heart and we say, I'm in, I'm ready, so now what? What am I supposed to do? And our sanawats go from letters A through G and they increase in the need for courage as we move forward in these. You start with asking questions and be there, etc. And it moves towards the last three letters, E, F, and G. Extend beyond yourself, freely give, and get in the game. That is being part of the revolution. That is coming to the point of saying, okay, I am cut to, my, to the heart. What am I supposed to do? The revolution is about doing something. That's the title of the message here this morning. Do something. The revolution is about acting. It's called the book of Acts. It's not the book of Ponder. It's about doing something. It's about being, being cut to the heart to the point where we are going to move forward. So many people struggle with a God who doesn't do something about the tragedies in this world. So many struggle with the God. They say, where is God when there is war in the world, when there is genocide, when there are children who are hurting, when there is injustice? Where is the God throughout this? And I believe God is hoping that we, his people, his followers, are cut to the heart enough to do something about it. That's what we're here for. We are his hands and feet so that we would be the ones who would do something. Also, there is a response often by churchgoers in, 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 in the West to be stirred to think or feel something, but not to do something. We are famous in church for having aha moments and maybe having a tear roll down our eyes and having a prayer in the safety of an environment like this or it's a Bible study or it's a retreat or something and we feel moved to feel a certain way and we don't do anything about it. And we walk out and after an hour it fades away and then we wait for the next time to have an aha moment. There is a need for us to be a part of the revolution to do something. What I want to do here is we continue to look at the rest of the first seven chapters of the book of Acts is look at how these young men, these teenagers, how they did stuff, how they did something. Again, the, the whole format of the, the book of Acts follows chapter 1, verse 8. First seven chapters talk about Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. In Jerusalem, there are three different incidents, different examples that I want to pull out. The first one is in chapter four, 
where Peter and John model for us that we are to boldly do something. We are to boldly do something. Peter and John, they end up healing someone on the Sabbath day. And if you are familiar with some of the stories of Jesus, this is a no-no to the religious folks, to the Jewish religious folks. They say, you, are not, you can't do that. You can't heal on the Sabbath day. Peter and John do it. And then we uh, enter in on uh, verse 5 of chapter 4. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. I cannot overstate how big of a deal it is for Peter the teenager to stand in front of Annas, the high priest. There is one high priest. Only one is allowed to go into the Holy of Holies once a year. It is the mighty high priest the Pope, the president of the Jewish faith. Annas is there, and Caiaphas is there, who is a former high priest, kind of the grandfather of high priests. Caiaphas is there, and a bunch of other important people. And Peter's standing there, and he says, jump to verse 10. He says, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. You crucified him. In other words, the good news is, Annas and Caiaphas, your names will be remembered for millennia, but you'll be remembered as the ones who killed the Son of God. That's not so good for you. And he entered into this boldly. It says in verse uh, 31, Jump down to verse 30. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Peter models for us that there are times where we need to boldly do something. We can be intimidated by those around us, by those who've gone before us, by those who maybe don't get the vision or the invitation that God has given us to be a part of something. And it can be tough. It can be difficult. I can't imagine the difficulty that Susan, for example, experienced in this decision to say, I'm going to live in Rocky Point at this time in my life, and what that means to her family, and how bold that decision is to do that. Hundreds of years ago, when the 13 colonies were making decisions as to uh, how they were going to separate from England, there would be these big rallies, and people would charge, and yeah, 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 and the safety on this western soil And people would be yelling and yelling and yelling. When it came down to doing something, most of them would sit back, sit down, tame, tone down, and say, whoa, 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 wait. When it comes to losing their land or entering into a uh, battle with England, they would say, no, uh, let's not offend them too much. And there was a guy named John Adams who was one of the, uh, was a Christian and was one of the signees on the Declaration of Independence. If you look at it, he signed his name very clearly so they would know exactly who he was. And at one point, legend has it that in one of these meetings where people are kind of yelling, but when it comes to doing something, they all quiet down, John Adams stands up and he says, people, we're talking about a revolution, damn it. We got to offend somebody. Some of you are just more offended that I use that word. I'm quoting someone else. But here, we're talking about do. We're talking about boldly doing something. And there is there. Jesus was offensive. 
Peter and John were offensive at times when they were following the call of God to do something boldly. Now, a second example here in these first seven chapters is when these followers of Christ, these disciples of Christ, model for us that we are to confidently do something. Boldly do something and now confidently do something. We're in chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to verse 33. Once again, Peter and others are in trouble and they're brought before the big dogs to the Sanhedrin, the, the high priest and all the officials in the Jewish faith. Once again, they're brought before them. When they heard this, they were furious, these, these officials, and wanted to put Peter to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. In other words, Peter and company be set outside, and he addressed the Jewish leaders, men of Israel. Consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed and his followers were dispersed. And it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt, a revolution. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. Listen to this. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. If you want to do something and it is not the will of God, you want to do something but it is not what God has called you to do, perhaps it's so that you can make a name for yourself. Perhaps it's so that you can keep up with the spiritual strength of, of someone next to you and you want to do as much as they're doing. Or maybe it is to appease the guilt that you feel for something that you have not dealt with. Maybe there's, there's some guilt for some area of your life, and as long as you work hard enough and do enough over here, then you won't have to deal with this piece over here. If you are doing something and it is not the call of God in your life, you'll fail. But if you have been cut to the heart, if there is something in this world, in this city, that stirs you up and it is the calling of God on your life and that whole concept of the call of God. We're going to be talking about that as the whole shebang continues. But if you feel that you are cut to the heart because of something God is calling you to do, you will not be able to stop these men. Verse 40, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. I never really understood that verse. The good news is that... that uh, uh, Gamaliel had, had influence on these Jewish leaders. The bad news is we're still going to whip you 39 times before we let you go. Okay, just a little happy joy, joy there. One final, one final example from these young followers of Christ in terms of how we are to do something boldly, confidently, and then there's a, a young man named Stephen who models for us that we are to powerfully do something. Stephen was invited to be one of seven men who were to do a particular task. And if, uh, uh, turn with me to chapter 6, verse 5. 
Chapter 6, verse 5, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose the following seven. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas. Now, whether you have your Bible or not, just hearing those names, do those names sound Jewish or Greek? Good. They're Greek names. You, you can tell because I didn't spit. Jewish names always spit. Abimelech, Abraham. There's always a phlegm-stirring action with Jewish names. These are not Jewish names. These are all Greeks. And this is hugely significant because we're talking about the Jewish faith, the Jewish God. And here are these seven Greeks, non-Jews, Gentiles, that have been invited into this. And Stephen is one of them. And he ends up getting in trouble, just like the ones before him. And he stands before the Sanhedrin, before the mighty tidies. And he says in chapter 7, then the high priest asked him, are these charges true? To this, Stephen, the Greek non-Jew, replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. And Stephen goes on and on to explain the Jewish story. Stephen, a non-Jew Greek young man standing before the mighty, powerful Jewish leaders, and he's telling them about their Jewish history. This is incredible. This is incredibly offensive. I mean, this, this, would be, this would be insulting to them. It'd be like a Canadian hockey fan coming down to the United States and explaining to a bunch of Americans what baseball is all about. What, what, what Canadian knows anything about baseball? It'd be insulting to you. Or like, like a short Canadian who would come down into the NBA and become the MVP or something like that. Oh, wait a minute. That happened. That's right twice. Sorry. Uh, but go with the first example rather than, rather than the second example. It, it would be insulting for you to come. And he takes all of chapter 7. He's, here's what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. And then he continues on into verse 51. And he says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Here is an uncircumcised Gentile saying to the circumcised Jewish leaders that they have uncircumcised hearts. You're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your fathers did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. He's writing his own death wish right here. And that's what happens. Jump down to verse 57. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul, who later becomes Paul, and we'll learn about his story in a few weeks. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, I, I can't even begin to imagine what it would feel like to have rocks thrown at you to the point where your, your consciousness would just shut down. 
I can't even imagine that. And in the middle of that, he prays that God would forgive them Similar way to what Jesus said on the cross. They, they don't know what they're doing. They don't, they don't even know how great and powerful you are, God. How would a young Greek man have the power to do that? Stephen became the first Christian martyr, first of many, many thousands. He did not do this out of his own strength. He did that because of the power of the Holy Spirit in him. These young men, these young disciples of Christ, Peter, Paul, and company, they did what they did boldly, confidently, powerfully doing something, not out of their own strength, but out of the strength of the Holy Spirit working in them. And here's the great news, is that you too can do something in the kingdom, and it has nothing to do with your personal strength has nothing to do with your upbringing whether you had a great upbringing or a a a really rough upbringing that leads you to a great testimony that stuff is is god can use any one of those situations there is not an age or a past that can disqualify you from being invited by the power of the holy spirit to do something significant so here's how we're going to wrap up here this morning i want to give you two opportunities today to do something And one is what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We are going to take up our missions offering. And this is a way, literally, for you to make an impact, to make a difference around the world through the giving, sacrificial giving of of your money. Our goal is $55,000. And as Steve said, every dollar will go out from this building unless you designate general fund on it. And we're hoping we'll, we'll reach that 55000 and we as a church will do what God has called us to do. And then the second way that you can do something, if you are cut to the heart this morning, there's a reason that I asked Susan to come up and talk about Rocky Point, is because we want to invite you to go to Rocky Point and get your hands dirty and get out of the safety of the Awatuki seats and get and do something by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do this. What we're going to do is we're going to have three trips at, at the end of this series. This is a six-week series. And for the last three weekends of this series, we're going to send teams down to this hotel in Rocky Point, and there's going to be cleaning and painting and fixing and wiring and and working on these 34 rooms so that it can become a functional place, and they'll be interacting with the locals and with the kids and and learning the experience down there. There's a uh, the plan is that on June 12th and 19th there'll be one day trips. There'll be two Saturdays, one day trips. Leave early Saturday morning, come back Saturday night. One day. That's it on the 12th and the 19th. Then on the the last weekend of this series, it'll be a regular weekend mission trip where they leave on a Friday night, come back on a Sunday afternoon. And each of these, any of these that that you decide to go after are 39 bucks. Typically it costs more than that to cover this. We're gonna subsidize that because we want you to go do something. $39 is all that'll cost so you don't have any excuses. You've got three weekend opportunities. You've got uh, low cost. If you can't afford the $39, just go anyway. We'll take care of you. 
For some of you, this is like missions light. Some of you, you've done this, and oh, it's just kind of a... For others of you, this will be a huge step of faith for you to go and see a part of the world that you've never seen before. Not the beaches of Rocky Point, but where the people live. And this is a family-friendly event. A few years ago, I took my six-year-old son. Let him see it. Bring, bring your family. Let him see it. Let him see what God is doing there. At the end of our time today, you'll get a, a piece of paper with the information on it for you to think and pray about. There is a, a table in the lobby. You can actually sign up today if you want to. We don't even know how many we can handle for this. We'll see how many of you respond. What a great problem it would be is if we started to get too many. Let's have that problem. Let's do something. I want to invite the ushers now to come forward. We are going to worship with a song as we take up our offering. And at the end of that, I'm going to come back up and pray for our sacrificial offering, and then I'll dismiss you.